Hey there, Kendall County. Welcome back to another edition of the Texas Examiner, uh, the Kendall County edition. We're so happy that you could join us today. If you're watching us on YouTube, please make sure that right now, before you do anything else, reach down there, hit that bell for notification and the subscribe button. We'd also be interested, very interested in hearing your comments. If you're watching us on Facebook or one of the other social media outlets, please leave a comment, like, subscribe, and follow. Today, we are honored to have with us two esteemed uh, members of the community. We have Chief Perez from the Bernie Police Department. Sir, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. And we also have with us Mr. David Parent, who is uh, famous for his uh, musical abilities, <laughs> as well as a criminal defense attorney here within Kendall County. So, sir, thank you very much for being able to join us today. Thanks for the invite. John, well, why don't we get started with uh, our chief of police? Okay. I mean, most of us know our chief of police, but uh, uh, we don't know a lot about, uh, you know, what brought you here, chief? Uh, tell us your journey to, to Bernie. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in San Antonio, so right down the road from from Bernie. Uh, went to school there, left to the Army, and when I got out, uh, you know, my goal was to be going to law enforcement. Uh, went through the SAC Academy in San Antonio, and once I, uh, shortly after I got certified to the academy and everything uh started looking around for jobs my first place was alamo community college district so i uh, worked for sac and palo alto and some of those uh, community colleges uh, and then shortly after that i ran into a friend of mine who i went to the academy with and uh, she was working up here in bernie and so we met through a local training and uh, at that point she's like hey bernie's hired you want to come on board and so from that point on, I filled out an application. I started here back in uh, September of 99. Wow. So there, there's upward mobility in the Bernie Police there Department. There is upward Obviously, mobility. You're yes. a perfect example of it. Yes, right? sir. Climbed yes, all the way up to the chief, the chief of police. Yes, sir. So I've been here, like I said, just over 24 years and uh, started out in patrol, uh, did patrol for a while, then uh, got promoted sergeant, went into CID, which is a criminal investigations division. Yes. And then from there, just uh, continuing to move on up. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do for our community. What did you do in the Army? I'm just curious. What? So I was a mechanized infantry, 11 Mike. 11 Mike. infantry. Boy, his voice just raised there. Right? <laughs> no, I can sound like you were no. proud of that. <laughs> so you're not real fond of the cab guys there. Yeah, you know, everyone's got a job to do. Everyone has a job yeah. to do. I like that. Yeah. And, and Mr. Parent, Dave Parent, uh, we uh, probably the most likable defense attorney in the in the community. Uh, I don't know if that's because you do a good job as a defense attorney or it's because you do a good job on stage as a, as a musician. Man, I would um, hope it's the musician part. <laughs> tell us about yourself, Dave. Uh, I'm from Beaumont originally. Okay. Actually, not Beaumont, Nederland, which is right near Beaumont. Right. Mm -hmm. When you talk about little small towns, nobody knows where you're talking about. But, um, after a couple of years of miserably failing at college, I decided to join the Army as well huh. and spent three and a half years in the Army. Um, on the way out, I had a family member who was uh, a police officer in Corpus Christi. And kind of the same thing as Steve's talking about, hey, you know, we're always hiring <laughs> and I needed a job. So 18 years later, I retired and went to law school. Wow. So you doing this for about 12 years. That's fantastic. Well, well, thank you for your service as a police officer as well, Dave. Thank you. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons we invited uh, the chief and Dave, because we thought it would be a great uh, duo to, that uh, can talk about the issues of, of law enforcement in our community. Mm -hmm. uh, part of what we do in the Texas Examiner is, is try to bring uh, people that will talk about a certain issue and give us uh, different perspectives. Mm -hmm. uh, not that there's one or right, right or wrong, but different perspectives so people can see 
can walk in your shoes, Chief, and can also walk in your shoes or your client's shoes, Dave, as to you know when, when it happens to them, when they have to encounter have an encounter with with a police department or law enforcement. Um, along those lines, Chief, uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is mm-hmm. um, in today's world uh, where police officers are watched uh, from every angle and they even have cameras. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, do you do you feel that officers have the uh, uh, discretion to make uh, calls on the street like they used to maybe 20, 30 years ago? Uh, well, obviously, it's changed from 20, 30 years ago. Uh, I mean, just the technology itself. You mentioned the cameras. That's changed a whole lot of mm-hmm. law enforcement side. Um, I know Dave's been doing this, started probably before I did. And there was no cameras when I first started here. We had we only had just went to in-car cameras, but you didn't have body cameras. Everything's body camera now. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it does change a whole lot of things. You have to change. You have to evolve with the technology. Of course, legislation has enacted new rules and uh, procedures. Um, and then also being part of a recognition program, you know, there are certain procedures that have to be followed. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, there's no doubt it's changed. And so, uh, but I think it's great. I think the camera keeps everybody uh, professional, keeps them honest. Um, you know, most of the complaints we get, we go back to looking at those cameras and uh, nine times out of 10, it saves the officers. And I know Dave can attest to that part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think it's great. Does it does it also kind of limit an officer? Uh, for example, I was a, a Border Patrol agent uh, and worked in Laredo, El Paso, yeah. and we often ran into uh, uh, and to juveniles along the border that were yeah. uh, citizens doing some some mischief or something. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't have cameras at the time, of course. We always had the discretion. Some agents were a little more hardcore than others and would, yeah. would arrest them <laughs> for trespassing. Uh, then there were some agents that would say, you know, I'm going to call their parents. Yeah. Or I'm going to give them a good, good talking to if, if they thought the kid was someone that would learn. Uh, I, some of the officers I've spoken to, uh, not in Bernie, but in different police yes. uh, departments tell me that they don't feel like they have that discretion anymore with, you know, with, if they, if they try to do a good deed, they could get in trouble. Is that still the case or? No, I think every situation is different, right? I think it depends on the incident and, and what the actual issue is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, some things depending on the age of the juvenile and what they're actually doing. Um, and if, if there's a victim, as far as like an individual, obviously, if it's an attack against another individual, they have a say so. Um, if it's something kind of like what you says, a trespassing, something that's, you know, not, I would say as bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, not like an assault type of uh, crime. Um, then, yeah, sometimes that's, that's probably the way to go is to the parents and let the parents handle it. But part of that has changed too. A lot of times parents don't want to handle that and they want us to. You know, they want to scare their kids and say, no, take them to juvie, you yeah. know, because they need to learn their lesson. Uh, you know, again, if, if they done it and it's a crime and, and all the elements are met, then so be it. But again, it's it's the officers still have the discretion to a certain point. That's good to hear. Dave, what do you see? Uh, uh, you, do you get a lot of clients uh, uh, that are juveniles here in this this part of the county? That- Actually, I don't do juvenile. Okay. I, that's one of the areas that I've stayed away from just because I had kids. And at the time, um, I still have kids, by the way. Okay. <laughs> they're, just, they're just grown. <laughs> but, you know, when, when you have your own children working in that environment, it's a little more, more stressful because you yeah. personalize that. Interesting. So it's like when I was on the streets, the area I worked for almost five years had a children's hospital on it. And I had a, a, a blast working there up until my first child was born. And when I started personalizing the victims of these crimes, if it was a sexual assault of a child, if it was a, an aggravated assault or, you know, 
I mean, I worked a few deaths, you know, sure. where babies got killed. Prior to having my own kids, it was, I mean, Steve will tell you this too, it, it's, it's formulaic. Yeah. You go in and you have to, you know, calculate, uh, accumulate the evidence, put the evidence together. Of course, where we were, it was a bigger department. So you'd bring in detectives, you'd bring in supervisors. Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, it was just in and out, write the report, go home at night, you don't lose any sleep. Mm -hmm. As soon as my kid, my first child was born, you start thinking, you know, what if that was my kid? Yep. And after that, I had, to, I had to call my supervisor and say, hey, look, you got to pull me out of here. I've been here too long. So yeah, it's it's really it's pretty stressful. Yeah. What was your original question? I, I <laughs> no, I think that I think it's about it's about discretion. No, and I'm glad you said that because that is true that we often forget that officers, uh, uh, because they wear the do. uniform, they're people yeah. too, and they have families too, and they they carry that that trauma as well, uh, you know, psychological as well as physical sometimes. But uh, but as far as uh, the cases that you represent, let's say there's a drug case. Uh, you, you, I, I know here in Kendall County, we're pretty strict about drug cases with our prosecutors are, I guess. Uh, do you see uh, uh, cases that in your opinion probably could have been handled at a lower level or? Absolutely. Not just here, but in other places too. Okay. I mean, Kendall County is not the, not the only place in the world that feels they need to be very strict on things. Um, I mean, everybody would agree there's a big difference in, selling drugs versus using drugs. We'd also agree that there's a big difference between using methamphetamine or fentanyl and smoking a joint. So priorities sometimes, in my opinion, everywhere, not just here, sometimes I think the priorities get a little messed up and they spend too much time and resources on dealing with things that, like Steve said, knock on the door and say, hey, Junior's over here smoking pot with his friends, handle this. Instead, they got to pay me thousands of dollars or another defense lawyer thousands of dollars. And 18 months later, they're still dealing with it. When a knock on the door could have corrected the behavior. Could have. Now, in, in all fairness, uh, like the chief said, parents are not like my dad. Mm -hmm. If I, back in 1984, it was the best prosecutor. <laughs> prosecutor <laughs> and executioner. Yeah. So, when it comes down to, you know, 1984, Dave's brought home, he's in trouble. Mm. You know, the belt came out and everybody in the world knew it. Mm. Nowadays, you know, a lot of parents are more of, what did you do to my kid? Uh, so I, I see both sides. Right. Yeah. But from a, from a strict economic standpoint, I think that if, if resources were focused on certain areas, it would be a little bit more efficient for the counties. Sure. And, and along those lines, Chief, I know uh, we had a, a show uh, recently on mental health mm -hmm. at a psychiatrist here, and yep. uh, we talked about juveniles. And, and uh, uh, tell us, uh, what is the Bernie Police Department doing with respect to uh, uh, training or addressing uh, mental health uh, incidents or cases? Yeah, so mental health, uh, like I said, uh, you know, over the last couple of years is becoming more widely known. Um, and so there's a lot more incidents going across the country, not just in Bernie Kendall County, uh, where you're hearing everything from, you know, the mass shootings to just, you know, self-infliction and suicide and everything. So it's, it's definitely, you know, Bernie Kendall County's not, you know, um, it's part of it too, as right. well. So, uh, over the caps, uh, I guess this is our second year going on third year, uh, just, uh, just like everywhere else across the country, we got a mental health officer, 
uh, you know, Officer Rebecca Foley, she's our first mental health officer. Uh, and so she's working with uh, the mental health officers from the sheriff's office and also family services, which uh, I think that team is great because uh, obviously we focus on Bernie, you know, because she's Bernie PD, but uh, she's also helping with the other group. And I say they're kind of a, a teamwork, right, because one person can't just do it alone. It requires sometimes, uh, you know, the attorneys to get involved, the families to get involved, uh, family services, sometimes, you know, the church, uh, depending on the situation and what that person is going through or suffering for or whatever that current crisis is, uh, it takes a bunch of resources. We deal with veterans. So we'll look out to the veterans for resources. Uh, and so these, these people that are dealing with it, the like officer Foley, uh, their job is to not only find out what's going on, but also where can we uh, delegate and, and move those resources to get those people the help they need. And that's not just the person itself, right? The person, again, we all just talked about family and everything. So if your kid is in crisis, and, and again, I say kid, it could be a juvenile, it could be a young adult, it could be a middle-aged adult. You know, some of them are still at home being taken care of by their parents because of mental health issues. And so uh, not only are we trying to help those people that are in crisis, we're also trying to help the family that are having to deal with them because, uh, you know, like Dave said, you know, back in the day, if you're an old school parent, hey, deal with it, get over it, right? Well, right. you can't really, that's not the way to, right. to go about it these days. Uh, and again, it just depends on how severe they, you know, their issues are. And so that's what we're, we're doing overall. Do you, do you think that has, uh, or do you think the socioeconomic uh, groups within the county have anything to do with the different types of scenarios that your officers run into? For example, um, for let's say that there's one, maybe one particular neighborhood uh, within the area that you may experience more of those types of situations with than you would say in uh, a subdivision or a neighborhood and maybe a less privileged area. Uh, you know, I don't think you put really uh, a, a, the money part to it, mm -hmm. right? Because the, the, you got to look at what the crisis is. Um, you know, we, we talked about drugs, addiction. It doesn't matter how much you make or what, what your family's from, what your upbringing is. Uh, you know, it don't matter, right? All it takes is that one person to find whatever their that poison is. And, and they get hooked on it and it affects everything. You know, they start stealing from their loved ones. They start doing stuff. Uh, you know, that's usually what happens a lot of times. You know, they're out there committing thefts and breaking yes. into cars and doing that um, because they're trying to supplement, right. you know, their addiction. Uh, alcohol is the same way, right? So uh, mental health. It, there it, we go. That's where I was kind of leading up As to far as the mental health, there's different areas of mental health, right? Uh, there's some people that we've seen out here like, uh, like veterans. Uh, they got uh, what we call TBI, traumatic brain injury something that happened overseas while they were fighting a war, you know, they, you know, they got blown up or something happened to where now they, they suffer this, this uh, traumatic brain injury, TBI. Um, so they're acting differently. Right. So I don't think the money part comes into it. And again, we don't go through insurance. We're not dealing with that side. Our job is how can we help them? Um, whether it's through therapy, whether it's through counseling services or, you know, taking them to the VA, that kind of stuff. So we, we don't get involved in as far as the money um, part of it. So it, I'm sorry. No, don't please it, go ahead. It, it's interesting that that now that we're we've had the vet just recently with Veterans Day, and that Correct. the three of us are veterans, and and uh, I even like to say that Robert's a veteran with his service in the Border Patrol because there's yeah. really not a whole lot of difference in what we did on a day to day right. basis. It was the uniform that we wore. Yeah, but. I know in counties such as Bear County and in the San Antonio area, we have Veterans Court. 
And we don't have a, a, any type of a system like that, I believe, here in Kendall County. Is that something you think that would be beneficial to our veterans here in the county? Absolutely. Um, now, what is a veterans court? Okay, veterans court is a it's a treatment track, mm -hmm. and it's generally used for substance abuse. Some some family violence is brought into that as well. But what the court tries to do is they try to ascertain whether or not the behavior or the crime is somehow linked to their military service. Hmm. So I have a couple of examples. Um, the first example is I had a client who was charged with assaulting their spouse. Thank God it wasn't a serious assault. It was more of a push-shove kind of match. Right. But this person had spent almost two years overseas, had been blown up twice, and this was a Bear County case. Um, we submitted the application. They said, yeah, we, we think that this person's behavior is directly related to their military service. So in that case, it was given to a, um, what they call a pretrial diversion track, which is the, the, I hate to say it, most forgiving track. It's for people who have never been in trouble before. It's for people who don't commit anything really serious. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't stab somebody or shoot somebody but it's a, re a rehabilitative track. And basically, for lack of a better term, they're on probation. Right. At the end of the probation, if they do everything they're supposed to do, they go to all of their treatment, all of their counseling, their case is dismissed. And at the end of it, their case is eligible for expunction to where we can go in later and erase it like it never happened. Mm -hmm. so, so for the people that have served our, our country and have suffered because of that, I think it's a good, it's, it's a really good tool for us and law enforcement, uh, the court system to allow these guys to not have to answer for this one little incident. 30 second chance. Later. Yeah. 30 years later. Hmm. And yeah, it's a second chance, but I think it's deeper than that. I think it's, it's really, first of all, acknowledging that what these people went through overseas is far worse than what Steve or I have ever seen on the streets as police officers. And we've seen our share of dead bodies. We've, we've gone out to accidents and seen horrific things. But what these guys overseas see, what they go through, a thousand times worse than that. And to allow them the opportunity to try to get over that over time without having to, to feel the hammer of justice on their head every time they mess up. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. So is that similar to pretrial diversion, like when a juvenile is picked up for a joint, for example, and you can go to the prosecutor and say, look, we want to, this is his first offense and we don't want to ruin this kid's life because of a mistake he made. Is that similar, that, well, but just for veterans? It's, it's exactly the same okay. thing with the, with the difference in how the probation is administered. Okay. Um, usually normal probation or normal pretrial diversion, you go once a month, you take a drug test, pay your fee, take your classes, your community service, and you're done. With the Veterans Court and like with mental health court as well, they'll have extra meetings. And in San Antonio with the Veterans Court, once a month, all of the veterans who are in the court will show up to the Veterans Courtroom and they have a meeting. Hmm. And it's almost like an AA meeting where they stand up and go, hey, here's this month. Here's what I've accomplished. Here's how I failed. And the group tries to support the group. That's in addition to all the VA treatment, the psychological treatment that goes along with it. But I think when you put people in a room who all have similar experiences 
and they can support each other, there's a, a much higher uh, percentage of success. Right. And they have a very good success rate over there. Is that a resource issue, though, Dave? Does Kendall County have the resources to, to create another program uh, like this Veterans Court? Uh, or is that what's limiting us from not having it here? I'm assuming we don't have one, correct? We don't have one. Okay. Um, I'm going to answer this like a politician would answer this. <laughs> no, we have another show for politicians. <laughs> this is a show for, for men that tell the truth. <laughs> I, I, I truly believe that our community has the, the financial resources to do this. Okay. Okay. Um, they haven't done it for whatever reason, and I really haven't pressed that issue. The cases that I have had in Kendall County, we referred them out to the Bear County Veterans Court for administration because we don't have that here. I think we should have one. Um, for whatever reason, we don't. I'd like to see it happen. Though. Okay. Well, that's good. Thank you for being honest about it. I don't think that was a politician. No, I think that was <laughs> awesome. That's good, Dave. Awesome. Yes. So, so uh, uh, Chief, um, you've uh, been the chief of police now here for how long? Uh, just over a year and a half. A year and a half. Okay. And, 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 but you've been with the Bernie Police Department for a long time. Yeah. So uh, some of the programs that, that you have experienced as an officer uh, that um, you are proud of, that you're going to continue, what, what, what is like one program that, that you wouldn't change? Um, so, I mean, we, there's a couple different programs. One of the ones that uh, is going extremely well is the uh, school resource officer mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a great relationship with the school district. Uh, of course, after Uvalde, um, our goal had been to always slowly put an officer at every campus. Um, and so I think we were around five officers that there's nine schools within the city limits of Bernie um, out of the 14 right. uh, throughout the, the, the county. Um, and so our goal was to slowly start, you know, every year adding a, an SRO Uvalde tragedy happened. And so after that, uh, we basically got together and said, let's, let's just go ahead and do it now. Expanded it. So we went ahead and put, uh, an officer, um, in every school. And so now we're at, uh, you know, we started out with one officer back when I first started, officer Hector Hernandez was the lone SRO for the school district. And now we're at nine total. That's fantastic. And so we've added a sergeant, a corporal and the SROs. Um, and then the county and Fair Oaks, they have, we all have mutual contracts right. with the school district, but that way every school in Kendall County or, uh, Bernie ISD, cause there's, uh, the schools in Fair Oaks are technically Bear County, but, um, all so that's a program you'd like to keep. Or oh yeah, continue. definitely. Um, moving forward with that. And now that you're the King, you're the chief, you can, <laughs> you can make all decisions, uh, any, any program that you'd like to implement or yeah. you have on your sites for the future. Yeah, so uh, definitely the mental health. Uh, like to continue to add another officer to that because, like like we mentioned, it's it's growing. It's a growing need, um, and so uh, we're seeing the numbers since we've kind of started keeping track increasing as far as the number, uh, like just even the emergency detentions, um, those are increasing, and so uh, we'd like to I would see add another officer. Uh, so that way we have to, and then continue working with all the other groups that we're working with the nonprofits and yes. stuff like that to, and, to battle that, those issues. And I kid about you being the king, you know, you, <laughs> yes, you're the chief and you, you've got some control of the budget, but you don't have, you still have to go to someone, right? Uh, oh, yeah. is, is that, all got bosses. Yeah. <laughs> who, who is the, the, the person you'd have to go to for more resources and, um, and who do we as taxpayers can, can go to, to help, uh, bend their ear to. Yeah. To, so, um, obviously with the city, uh, just like with County government, everybody has budget. Budget. Uh, yes. You know, when we start our budget talks, it's usually around springtime. Mm -hmm. uh, we kind of everyone gets together, just like any other plan, right? You kind of have your wish list, and 
here's there's there's some stuff that you have to need. Uh, there, those are those legal requirements. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got to have X Y Z. We got to have certain training has to be met each year. You know, so those are things that we plan for. Uh, and then, of course, there's the wish list of okay, we want to add another SRO. What's that going to cost? Um, you know, if we just want to add another officer, what's that going to cost? And we're not talking just an officer, right? A lot of people just think it's just a body, but, uh, and Dave knows this, right? I mean, you're talking about all the uniform and equipment that they got to be outfitted with radios, the training, right? So we got to take all the training. Uh, they need something to drive. Mm -hmm. So that's a vehicle. And then everything that goes in a vehicle to include the, the markings and everything. So all that adds up. So when we say we need an officer, we, we try to put all that in there because if you get an officer, and that's what, them. and that's you see that across the country. That's what they do. When you add an officer, you're adding a vehicle. You're adding, you know, they need not only pistol, they need rifles now because that's that's the right. thing now, right? Uh, shields, we're adding shields to our arsenal. Cameras, there. radio, cameras, yeah. you know, for the cars. All that stuff adds up very quick. So, Chief Pettis, uh, uh, you know, you've been here in Bernie for your whole career, pretty much. Um, what do you see as increasing in crime? And could you kind of give us a uh, a list from top to, to bottom as to what crimes are increasing in, in, in our area. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing that we've seen, and that's been as long as I've been here is property crime. That's still going to be our largest one. Number one. Uh, what we've seen kind of slowly growing uh, over the last couple of years is, uh, you know, we used to have uh, the car burglaries were right off I-10. So usually the criminals start in San Antonio and they work their way up sometimes all the way to Kerrville and back. And so as they're going along, I-10, they're hitting these neighborhoods kind of right off I-10. Sometimes they come a little bit further into town. Uh, but what we've seen increase now is the amount of vehicles being stolen. Hmm. Before, they were just breaking into cars, opening doors, hmm. taking stuff. Now we're actually seeing them opening doors, taking stuff, and taking cars. Um, the biggest uh, part we have with that is just the unlocked doors. Uh, a lot of people still in a small town. Yes. Nothing happens in Bernie. And um, and so a lot of the, the crooks know that, you know, because all it takes is one crew. Dave knows this. One crew will go hit this area, and they'll brag to all their buddies and say, man, we hit, you know, 10, 15, 20 cars. They were all unlocked. Key fobs were in the car. And uh, and so guess what? That crew's going to come back with more people. Right. They're going to go tell another crew. And so that's kind of what we're experiencing that. So my message is lock your doors, lock your cars, <laughs> take your fobs inside the house with you. You know, set the alarms. They all got alarms pretty much, or at least remote locked doors. Okay. Lock those doors because we're not seeing the fourth entry where they're breaking the windows and, you know, jimmying steering columns or doing any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's really they're just opening the door, hitting push the start, and car starts, and we're driving off. Well, I got a question for you. Are you seeing where people are breaking into cars and they're using the garage door openers to get in? Because I know when I was an officer, you know, we had a rash of that where yeah. it was about a six-month period where – it was, of course, auto burglaries where they were going in the car and stealing things. Yeah. But they were hitting the garage door opener, going into houses and gotcha. burglarizing the houses. Uh, I haven't seen a case like that to defend, but, I mean, yeah. have you seen that at the police department? Uh, so uh, we have not really seen that. Most of the time they're just hitting the cars, getting the cars and going. They're not really making entry into the houses. Good. Uh, so don't say that out too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, some of the stuff that we're, again, right, being with property crime, some of the stuff that we just implemented this year, and we, we work well with our IT department. Um, we're starting to work with the dot and all that, but we implemented license plate readers coming into the city. And so that's kind of, a, again, nothing's a 100% deterrent, um, but that's, again, going back to technology. You're starting to see that across the country. And the license plate reader, what we're finding out is 
they're stealing the cars in San Antonio, right? And then they're taking those stolen cars, driving to Bernie. Well, then what they're doing is then taking a car from Bernie and then going back to San Antonio. So if we can catch that stolen car coming into town ahead of time and that sends out a signal to our guys to be on the alert, here comes a, you know, white Kia, whatever, uh, then our guys can try to knock it down. And, you know, if they see it, they can stop it. Uh, you know, whatever, anything helps. Right. Got to ask you another question, Chief. I know, I know, uh, drugs, of course, is an issue, but yeah. immigration is a hot issue now. You know, with the the uh, the masses of people coming across the border, and yeah. I, uh, you know, being an old border patrol agent, I, I wasn't used to uh, police departments or county sheriffs helping us out. Yeah, know, we were on our own. But I've seen I'm seeing a shift there. Do, do you do you have pressure uh, for your department to get involved in in like we see illegal aliens coming through the community or through interstate, and I hear about these. Yeah. These loads there, are you guys having any problems with that? Are you focusing on that at all? Uh, we're, we're not focusing on it. Uh, we're, we're not feeling any pressure for people to say go out there and, and do, you know, border Profiling patrol. Cars, yeah. yeah, you know, we work I-10, we work the city, uh, you know, we go to the calls. Our guys are obviously allowed to do traffic stops and, and things like that. And uh, we've come across it. It's just one of those things. You see a car's suspicious activity, whatever the case is. Sometimes it's called in by people. Uh, if we catch it, we'll deal with it. But it's not something that we're focused on and we're putting guys out there on the street just okay. to say, go look for, you know, these trafficking and stuff like that. Uh, we don't get a lot of calls about our hotels having people come in and trafficking like you like you do in the bigger cities. Right. Um, you know, but again, right, if somebody calls in and says something, we're not going to shy away from it. We'll go investigate it. Uh, we have had a few uh, over the last year where we stopped those cars and had seven or eight people. And generally what we do is we take the driver or the people responsible for the actual trafficking. Once we can determine that that's what's happening, uh, we usually do contact ICE. Yes. And we say, hey, here's what we got. Uh, you know, a lot of it is now, um, I guess, because of COVID, or they can be online through TV and Zoom. Right. Uh, and so we'll usually have that, uh, but very rarely does somebody actually come out. Yes, just put a detainer. And, and nine times out of ten, there's no room for them. Right. So generally, once we allow ICE to come in and interview them, and we get all the information, document them, that kind of stuff, take pictures. They're released. They're released. Right. Right. Right outside our our doors. Um, Which kind of you, you know? That, that, I'm glad you said that because I, I know I've yeah. I experienced that. It was so frustrating for. Yeah. The police department and border patrol, and yep. um, John, you know, I've, I've, you, you also. Fortunately, we don't have that here too much, I don't think. But you know, the, there's been a lot of car chases, you know, in some of these mm -hmm. border towns and or in the interior from from these, and it's it's uh, it's just something that I know police are having to deal with more and more these days. Well, I would expect us to have you know something going on within Kendall County. We've got such a large section of I-10 coming through, and mm -hmm. and uh, uh, not only from the, the 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 illegal immigration trafficking aspect, but what about the the child trafficking? And I think a lot of our viewers and listeners have been paying attention to social media and hearing things that are going on in other parts of the country. And and as a a, a private investigator, I've worked on several. Uh, multiple actually missing person cases that turned into to, to child trafficking cases. Mm -hmm. are, are we seeing anything like that happening here in Bernie? No, no, we're not. Nothing that's being reported. Uh, and so yeah, that that, awesome. right. Um, again, it's not something we just hop up on, but nothing's being reported. Again, right. going back to the hotels, uh, you know, we've had a few calls where uh, the hotel people here are pretty good about calling and saying something suspicious. Something, something's not right. And come, can y'all come check it out? Mm -hmm. And, and we've done that before, but again, as far as uh, doing things like that, we we haven't had those. That is, but we stay pretty active. Sure. We work with the uh, 
both DPS and Attorney General's office, we've done some stings, you know, where we uh, try to be the the person on the other side of the mm-hmm. line because everything's online now. Yes. You know, everything's through uh, all these chat groups and different. I mean, there's it's different groups out there. I, I, I don't even know the names of, right? We find out, but, you know, it's just all communication chat groups. And, right. uh, and that's how they go to solicit, you know, these minors and kids and stuff like that. And so, again, those are the things that, we being a small department, we don't have the resources to have a dedicated team to just purely focus on that. But we reach out to, you know, again, attorney general's office, the DPS that have those groups and we bring them in. We'll let them set up at the PD and do stings and stuff like that. So we we do that from time to time. And that just keeps everybody on their toes because they don't know. Right. If we can get the uh, reputation for don't come to Bernie because – you may get arrested, then that's the reputation that's we want return. to keep it that Absolutely. way. People will, you know, think twice before they try to do something. Yeah, I, I don't speed it on a long Pharaoh. Pharaoh <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So, Dave, what about you as a defense attorney? What, what cases are you are you seeing an increase in, in in high profile cases, or is it mostly drugs? Before I go in there, let me tell John something. You mm. hit something on the head that needs to be talked about. Where you talked about trafficking of children. Mm-hmm versus trafficking of, say, illegals. Mm, right. What people don't understand is the same statute covers both. The, the part of the problem, and it's really outside of the police purview, it's more of inside the court system, is that whenever a couple of years ago they changed the law to where any trafficking was a felony, um, there were a couple of prosecution uh, district attorney's offices that said, our policy now is if you get caught in human trafficking, you will go to prison. There will be no plea bargain. There will be no probation, nothing. Well, they found out real fast. <laughs> That's a that, Pandora's box. Well, and, and let, let's try to focus specifically on the illegals versus the children, because the children, I mean, I've got no issue with that at all. Sure. You traffic children, as far as I'm concerned. You're going to prison. Well, go to hell. Okay. Yes. Okay. But there's there's different kinds of people that are violating this statute. Of course, there are the cartel people. These are the business people who are moving truckloads of people, and they're making money doing this. Right. What I've seen in my personal cases is there'll be a 19-year-old girl who gets convinced to go pick up two people in Del Rio and drive them to Dallas. Right. Okay. Not a cartel member. Hundred bucks a head, maybe two hundred bucks. Maybe something like that. And this is not Al Capone. This is not your drug trafficker. They don't care about fentanyl. They're doing what their boyfriend told them to do. Right. Okay. The first one of those cases I had was in a jurisdiction where their policy was no nothing. You're going to prison. That was the policy, and it took me seven or eight months of meeting and meeting and meeting to finally get this person into a deferred probation, which is what she needed. She didn't need to go to prison. She didn't need to have a felony conviction. Right. So the, the, the light shined on this prosecutor that yes, there are different kinds of, of people violating this law for different reasons. And those di- those differences are important as to how you enforce that ultimately in the end. Yes. So, I was just trying to, to no, make no, a point no. that what you brought up uh, was was very important. Uh, children, 
if you're trafficking children for sex purposes or anything else, you're you're out. Right. So. Well, the, the, and then I just the follow up. Oh, it's sorry, folks. Our light just went out. Um, <laughs> we'll figure out what that is in a minute, but it looks like we're fine on the screen. So um, inefficiencies, David, and I don't want to I, I think we can all agree that if if we didn't have any crime, neither one of you would have a job. Absolutely. Right. And in a perfect world, in a utopian world, that's where we would be. Unfortunately, that we're not. But we are also human beings. We're also administrators. We're in leadership positions and we have people with personalities and challenges that all work for us. Mm -hmm. And as a result, there are inefficiencies. As a defense attorney or, or defense attorney, are there some perceptible inefficiencies within the legal or criminal justice system that uh, you are seeing that we or our listeners can help? alleviate or are there some improvements that can be made that make more common sense does that does that make sense to you it does it goes back to what we talked to at the very beginning mm -hmm. as to letting other parts of the community handle certain problems and i know that, that my viewpoint is a little skewed um i didn't work in a police department in a place like bernie or fair oaks or, or kerrville um the department I worked in, we had 430 officers. Mm -hmm. uh, a typical 10 hour shift for us was 25 to 35 calls for service in a day. Mm -hmm. uh, we had no choice but to prioritize what we did. Right. So as, as an example, minor in possession of alcohol, uh, we didn't waste our time. And I hate to use the word waste of time because it's not really like that. It's we, we were, we, too knew, busy. we were too busy. Yeah. We had 10 other calls that were pending. And instead of writing an MIP ticket and driving them down, it was call your parents, come get you right now. Mom and dad showed up. They got a little butt chewing. Kid got a butt chewing went on his way because we were en route to a burglary call. It's a little different in a smaller, a smaller town or on an area where you're not working as hard. And I hate to use the word hard. You're not as busy. Um, you can, you can take your priorities a little bit easier. And sometimes those priorities get a little mixed up. Uh, just because it's a small town doesn't mean that we don't have the burglaries or the sexual assaults or the murders or the shootings or the auto burglaries where they're stealing your car. You know, um, is it, here, here's one of the examples that I like to use of complete, um, what I call misuse of resources. And it was not your department, which is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> but you would have said it was. Right? It was, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Officers respond to a party. And there's 35, 40 high school kids there. A couple of kegs of beer. I end up with five or six MIP clients where they wrote 32 or 34, I don't remember the number, of MIPs at this party. So I started asking my clients, well, how many parents showed up to pick up their kids? None of them. Where did where'd you all go? Oh, we, we went home. So you drove home? That's one part of the problem. The second part of the problem is sometimes you have a better impact by having the parents come and pick the kids up. Right. For a couple of reasons. First of all, you're notifying directly the parents. Here's what your kid was doing. Mm -hmm. Look at the keg right over here. Mm -hmm. 
they can't question whether or not their kid was there or wasn't doing it because mm-hmm. they get to see it. And the second thing is, is the kid, <clears throat> and I use the word kid, it could be 17 or 18 year old, I don't know. They're going to remember that the officer exercised his discretion and didn't hammer them. And these kids, 10, 15 years from now, might be applying for your department or the sheriff's department or DPS because they had a positive experience with law enforcement that could have been negative. Love that. So, so on, on multiple levels, it's more efficient sometimes to take the lowest level of enforcement possible right? versus stroking out 32 tickets and then for statistics purposes, hey, look at everything I wrote. Mm-hmm. It's not all about stats. It's about how are you impacting people. Right. Um, an- another example would be when you when you pick somebody up and they have multiple charges. And I see this all the time where a person will have um, possession of marijuana. They'll have a gun in the car, so they get an unlawful carrying of a weapon. And then they have a pipe they were smoking the marijuana with. Paraphernalia. Right. So they get arrested for both of the misdemeanors, and they write him a ticket in municipal court for the paraphernalia, which puts me in a, 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 a unique situation because we go to municipal court with these, and the municipal court prosecutor and judge are like, well, you have other cases in county court. We're going to wait until those are resolved. Mm-hmm but they don't normally understand that it takes nine months to a year to resolve the cases over in district court. So for efficiency purposes, and again, that's not always what we do. What I did on the street was if I had you on a possession of marijuana case and a paraphernalia, you're under arrest for this. You go to jail. I tagged the paraphernalia. I don't tie up two different courts basically occupying the same thing, Mm -hmm. which happens a lot. I get that in Bear County. I get it in Kendall County. I get it in Kerr County. Everywhere does this. Is that an officer training issue? Do the officers know your job and, and the, outside of arresting people? Is that something we can do better to train them on these issues? I think the officers don't understand what I do. Right. I mean, most of them don't. I, I didn't when I was an officer. Right. I thought defense lawyers were the enemy. I mean, <laughs> my attitude was, you know, screw those defense lawyers. Right. Um, and again, my perception of this is skewed by my experience. We had a district attorney that came to our, all of our briefings, came to our in-service training some training, and said, hey guys, look, we know that you may have five charges on this one person. Save us the work of having to file five cases when we're doing 10,000 a year. Uh, just give me the top one or two, let the other ones go, let us focus on those. Right. And I, frankly, I don't know what is going on in the Hill Country. I don't know what the prosecutors are telling the officers. But um, I see this a lot where a client comes in and they'll have five or six cases out of one arrest. And it's wow. like you have to answer three indictments and two or three misdemeanors. And it's first of all, it becomes prohibitively expensive for these folks to hire a lawyer to do that. So a lot of these guys are getting court appointed lawyers on the county dime. So there's, there's, there's multiple more. levels of economic inefficiency in that. Uh, having said that, there's times when you just can't. You know, you have one of those deals where it's a 
multiple auto burglaries and you have multiple victims or burglaries or sexual assault, you know, of course you can't cut those corners. But what I'm seeing is there's is a lot of stacking going on. And we can have a philosophical discussion about what laws I think are correct and, and are applied correctly and not. That's another two and a half hour conversation. We'll have to have you back here with the district attorney, maybe. <laughs> no, that's, but I think overall in, in Kendall County, law enforcement does a pretty good job with that. I do think some of the officers and some of the officers are a little more zealous than the other ones. Always. And there's some cases I get where, like I said, these guys just hook them up for everything they can think of. And it's just, I don't think that's real justice when you do that. I think you mentioned something earlier and uh, just real quick, cause we are getting short on time. Uh, we were talking before the show about things that you think that could be done or implemented to help both you as a defense attorney and then also the officers. And I think you said, mentioned something about report writing. Absolutely. Um, there's a huge variation in the quality of reports written by officers and all in departments as well. Um, one of the funniest things is when you go to Bear County and you read an SAPD report, they give a little like V1 for victim number one. I'm going to say they're horrible. I've read many of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the little, I don't want to call it a pronoun because it's not a pronoun, but they'll give a designation to each person. Mm -hmm. And then when they write their report, they refer to them and yes. what they write by the designation. Not by the name. Two, right. So when you have 15 people involved in a report, you don't know who did what. <laughs> you know, I always train my officers. Can we like, do that at Bernie? Yeah. Oh. They, you know, thank God they don't <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to give the chief a chance. Like, <laughs> the chief doesn't do that. Exactly. Yeah. So, but in the police reports, I always train my recruits, write your report like you're telling me a story. Right. You know, and, and I hear things like, when I approached, I exited my vehicle. <laughs> I ascertained. Yeah, I got out. I ascertained. It's, it's police jargon. Yes, okay? I understand and, it. And, and it works. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. But I like reading reports. But that's y'all's fault. The attorneys have taught the officers to use those words. No. <laughs> I um, Clarity, okay? And you don't have to have 15 paragraphs to be clear, okay? If you... If you pull somebody over on a traffic stop and I get these three paragraphs of how they followed him and followed him and mm -hmm, followed him, mm -hmm. like, okay, I was on patrol Monday, July 12th, and I saw a white Mazda run the stop sign at blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay. It's just like you're telling me a story. Okay. I can understand that. I could give a copy to my daughter. She could understand that. <laughs> The prosecutor's going to understand that. Be very clear. Um, the other part is understanding, and then I was trained on this as an officer, got a lot of training as an attorney on this, is developing probable cause to make an arrest. Articulable suspicion leads to probable yeah. cause. Articulate why you did things. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of reports where I have to sit and wonder. wonder why you did that. Right. I just handled a case almost it's pretty close to the valley, and it was a DPS trooper uh, pulled over a, a, a pickup truck and asked the guy, do you have a gun in the truck? Clients, yeah, I got a gun in the truck. Well, where is it? Well, he points to where it's at. The trooper walks around, 
sticks his head inside the truck, looks down and goes, oh, uh, you can't have that gun because it's not in a holster. It's in plain view. I contacted the prosecutor down there and said, hey, uh, take a look at this video because your officer who wrote that this is in plain view has to stick his head into a car where he's not allowed to do it in order to see this. Okay, well, brings on another thing. Be honest in your reports <laughs> mm. as to exactly what you did and why you did it and recognize that if you did something that is incorrect, don't make the arrest. I don't, what year did you become an officer? Uh, 98. 98. Okay. I was in 91. Back, back then the attitude in police was, you know what? They can beat the rat, but they can't beat the ride. <laughs> what that meant was arrest them. It don't matter if you do it right or not. Right. They may beat it in court, arrest them anyway. Right. The problem is nowadays with body cams, yes. dash cams, you know, my, my client was arrested wrong. Right. Okay, look, I say, luckily, he's just one of those people that's like, eh, I don't want to do anything about it. But could that trooper be in trouble? Absolutely. Because in his report, he wrote something that was not reflected in his video. Interesting. Okay. I don't see that here in Bernie. You know, very, very few. Most of the officers are really good. What I do see in Bernie and Kendall County is officers that don't write details. And then we have to flush the details out in front of a judge. Hmm. That is very inefficient to do that. Hmm. If the details were in the report, we might not have to have that hearing. The client not, might not have to pay me the extra thousand dollars for the hearing. And I mean, when you add in manpower for the district attorney, man hours for the judge, for the prosecutor, prosecutor, but the, the jail, the jail. It, <laughs> When you add all that in, prosecuting case is very expensive. Yes, yes. You know, I think I figured out one day that a misdemeanor case, when you factor in officer time, jailer time, food, medical, uh, prosecutor, mm -hmm. county clerk, district clerk, everybody, bailiffs who are involved, big business. everything else, you're, you're pushing $5,500, $6,000 just to get one case through. And I think if... If the government really put that in perspective, and I've asked this question on my on my social media before, what's it worth? Is now an assault case absolutely is worth uh, sexual assault case absolutely is worth it. There are certain things that are worth everything. A murder case is worth everything. Catch a kid with a joint. You catch somebody driving down the road and their gun's not in a holster. Mm -hmm. When otherwise they would be okay to carry it. Right. Is the economic cost of the prosecution and ultimate dismissal of that, is it worth doing or is it better to put, and I hate to use the word policy because you know I hate policy, right. a guideline in place that says, hey, if that's all you got, write the report and let them go. Sure. So. Yeah. So we've got a few uh, few seconds left. Um, I'm sure you probably do. You have anything else you want to? No, no. I just want to. I'm really want to thank the chief of police for yep. coming out here. It's, Absolutely, uh, and uh, putting himself on the firing line. <laughs> and uh, no firing line. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, chief. Thank you for what you and your your troops do, and, and we appreciate you keeping Bernie safe. Yeah, and, and thank you, Dave, for 
for balancing the uh, the scales of justice, you know, by helping people that, that need the help, and uh, and seeing it from from your perspective as well helps being a former police officer. Well, thanks for not inviting me to a debate. <laughs> <laughs> when when we invite you for the debate, you're going to have to show up in your flam flamingo shirts. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, sir. Serious, <laughs> yes, sir. Well, folks, uh, if Robert, if you have nothing else, again, Chief, thank you so much because I know you've got you. so much more on your plate. But uh, our viewers and our listeners are going to be very appreciative of uh, you sharing your time with us because we know how valuable that is. Dave, your time is just as valuable on the other side of the coin where you're, like uh, Robert said, assisting uh, who folks that – and there are folks out there that definitely need your help and your assistance and so appreciative of your time. Um, definitely want to hear more about your music. I think there's some possibility that Dave may hit the street for us at some point in the yes. future and say and, and, uh, <laughs> and start not exactly. you never know exactly. it could happen. <laughs> so folks once again thank you for joining us if you haven't already please reach down uh click the bell for notifications click the like and subscribe leave a comment on the social media facebook uh what else are we on we're on facebook uh, instagram TikTok used to be uh, Twitter. It used to be X, Twitter. X. So everything that uh, you can do, please, folks, and you want to see more of what we're doing, send us a note to the Texas Examiner at gmail.com. Right. And if you've got guests that you'd like for us to interview here on the show, uh, please send us uh, send us your suggestions. We'd love to Absolutely. have guests. And we and again here at the Texas Examiner, we like to have guests that provide uh, talk about the same issue with different perspectives, like we did today with our police chief and a defense attorney. That that uh, doesn't always happen at a, at a coffee table where you have nope. you have these two sitting down and, and talking about issues that they're both trying to accomplish the same thing keep us safe and uh, balance the scales of justice so if you have other people you'd like to invite let us know